Father, we come before You this morning because in Your great mercy to us, You let us call You Father. Because You have caused us to be born again through faith in Your Son, Jesus Christ. And we are so grateful for all that You have done on our behalf. Father, though we were rebellious, You loved us. And You loved us with an everlasting love that has overwhelmed us to love You in return. And we are so grateful for that. Father, thank You for not leaving us in darkness. Thank You for not leaving us thinking that we loved when we were selfish and self-centered. Father, we want to be changed. We want to hear from You. My brothers and sisters didn't come to hear from me. They came to hear from You. So I just pray, Father, that You would speak through me this morning. And that you would move in power. In Jesus' name, amen. Dan is in a series on Galatians. The church is, the elder board is desirous for us to be renewed from the inside out. To have the gospel be the foundation, the centerpiece, the motivation, the driving force behind the church. Every great awakening has been because people have been renewed by the gospel. If you go back in history, every time God has acted, it has been because people have been awakened to His goodness to them in Jesus Christ. And it has blown the doors open in the world. And it is our desire as a leadership and as a church that we would be so motivated by what Christ has done for us that it would do exactly that. But the Gospel is a dangerous thing. As you probably felt last week from Dan... When he was preaching out of Galatians 2, you realize that good works you can't bring to the table. Right? He talked about two perversions. One is that the Gospel, when you understand the Gospel, you are justified by faith. You are made righteous because of what Christ did on your behalf. You are atoned for not by what you do, but by what He did for you. And in that, you are set free to love God. But what comes with that is two perversions throughout history. One was the perversion of, well, if I can't do anything to gain eternal life, to be justified before God, then I can do anything I want. I get to be truly free. I can live as horribly as I want, and it doesn't matter because Jesus did everything. That is one perversion. The idea that you just have a license to sin. The other idea is that Well, I am really uncomfortable with this idea of free grace. This idea that Jesus did everything. So you know what? I'll I'll take the Jesus idea, but I'm still going to hold on to the law. And I'm going to show God that I'm good. And that, you know, my scale tips on the good side more than the bad side, and He should let me into heaven. In fact, I remember a conversation I had with my father some probably 15 years ago. And I was talking about the Gospel with him, and he was not saved at the time. And I was sharing with him the reality that you are saved by faith in Christ alone. Not by anything that you do. In fact, the only thing you bring to the table is sin. The only thing you bring to the table is everything that should cause you to go to hell. Right? And I was sharing this with him and how great it was 
that God would love us so much that He would send a perfect sacrifice in His Son, Jesus Christ. And my dad understood the implications of that so well that he said, I just can't believe that. What happens if you believe that? People will just do what they want to do. In other words, my dad, though not trained in theology, understood the doctrine of sin. The doctrine of depravity. That means everything we do is tainted by a selfish motivation that is devoid of God. Everything. And he realized that people would not obey God if there wasn't some form of hindrance or um, discipline or... Um, it's kind of like our justice system, right? We believe as a society that if we don't have police, that society won't be good. So we pay billions of dollars every year to protect ourselves from ourselves, right? Because we understand, and parents know that, and it's, it's true that a negative motivation is a motivation, Right? Parents understand that, so we have negative motivations for our kids. If you do this, this is a consequence. Our whole police force has same, the same standard. If you do this, here's a consequence. If you don't want to be in the back of the car or behind the bars, don't do these things. It is a motivation to keep you. And probably you felt a little bit, and I know there were some that felt this, That when Dan was preaching on the idea that grace and grace alone saves, and grace and grace alone is the only thing that will get you into heaven, it's what Jesus did, that some of you thought, and and the fact that you, if you try and add the law to that, you void grace. Right? Jesus plus anything voids grace. You void Jesus out. Jesus is Jealous for His glory, He will not give it to anything else. So you add anything to Him, and you demean Him. Well, you probably felt a little bit like, okay, then can I ask my kids to be good? Do I have to be good? What is the motivation to keep the Christian faithful? What is the motivation for the Christian to want to be obedient? Didn't you just take it all away? Well, I think John answers that question really well this morning, and I hope it's a compliment to what Dan did last week. Because all the apostles preached the same thing. And that that is that the Gospel, when truly received, creates a new birth in the human heart. And that new birth changes the way you function. It changes the way... It changes the affections that you have. It changes the motivation. And that's what I want to look at this morning. So if you haven't already, turn to John chapter 4 or read it on the screen. Um, But in John chapter 4, it starts with this. The first motivation. John says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You see John's logic there? His exhortation or his his hope for us to love one another, he points to God. He says, brothers, let us love one another 
Because love is from God. And anyone who loves has been born of God. Now you could take that too far. Right? If you stop there, you could, if you didn't take the whole of Scripture, you could really misunderstand that. John is not saying that anybody who loves has been born of God. He's not saying that. Can a bad person do good things? Absolutely. There is common grace on the image that God created in man still to this day. We may be hindering God's image in us, but it is still active. God's common grace is still upon every human being. Some more than others, right? But it's still there. Sometimes there's non-Christians that behave far better than Christians. Right? We're here because we're needy. Does everybody realize that? You came to church this morning not because you're a good person, but because you need Jesus Christ to be one. Right? So he's not saying that. But he's getting at the heart of motivation. We love because love is from God. And anyone who loves, truly loves, which he's going to further define as we go, a selfless kind of love, one that isn't motivated by self-serving, but by cost, by giving of oneself for the benefit of another, comes from God. That's his nature. God is love. And anybody who comes into contact with God in any real way takes on His nature, is born again of Him, is changed from the inside out. Your motivation isn't external anymore. You're going to get slapped on the hand if you do this. Your motivation changes. And this is what I told my father. I said, Dad, are you scared of mom? He said, well, no. Looked at me like I was some kind of idiot. It's true probably, but nonetheless. I said, are, are you scared of her? No. Why do you do anything for her? If you're not scared of her and she's not going to beat you up, why serve her? And my dad's the light started to go on a little bit. You serve mom out of a deeper motivation than fear. You serve mom because you love her. You get it? It's a greater motivation. Far greater than the law could provide. The law said if you don't do this, you're going to get whacked. You're going to get sent to hell. So people hide and try and not get caught, not realizing that God sees everything anyways. But if people don't say this, it's okay. There's a greater motivation. Love says, I don't care who's looking or if no one's looking. I love you. Period. And that's what God creates in the human heart for Himself. He creates a new creation in the heart of human beings that says, I want to obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. They're no longer burdensome to us. We're not doing them because we're scared of getting busted. We're doing them because we realize they please God. They bring joy to His heart. They protect us. They keep us in sweet communion. 
We do them for a totally different motivation than ever before. It's not enough, God says, to do it out of fear. You must do it out of love. So our love comes from, the motivation for our love is that God is love. And from Him flows love. And He begets love. As the old ancients said, love begets love. He creates a new creation in us. So our motivation is a new life. Not fear. But boy, if you take the rules away, everybody's going to just go hog wild sinning like crazy. That was my dad's fear. He understood the nature of human beings apart from God. That that's what we tend to do. Some of us do it more slyly than others. But boy, you take that, that negative motivation away, and would any of us be sly? That's what my dad was fearful of. There would be no resistance to sin. Love is a far greater resistance. If it weren't enough that God was love, is love, and creates love, he goes on to show us another motivation. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. See the refrain? Not only do we love because God is love, but we love because He has first loved us. God set His affections on you and me, not when we were nice, not when we were good, but when we were rebellious and not wanting Him. The Gospel of John makes it really clear that Jesus came to His own and His own did not receive Him because His own were filled with darkness. They did not want the light that came into the world because light exposes darkness. It exposes our sin. And so they rejected Him. But He came anyways. And He died on a cross alone to cover that sin. That's what Dan was talking about last week. We are justified by faith in what Christ did. He is the only atonement, the propitiation. He is the only covering. The Old Testament made it very clear that when we sinned, death was the result, right? Thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of animals died because we could not control ourselves. And they were all pointing to the fact that we needed desperate help and we were in desperate danger. And we were going to be in the place of the animal soon if God didn't do something. But the repetitive nature of the sacrifices were to horrify us with our behavior so that we would turn to the only one that could fix us, which was God in His Son, Jesus Christ. It was not enough for God just to be love. He sent love to us in Jesus Christ so that we might take on His nature. And the only way a person can take on the nature of God is by receiving the Son of God. And when we receive the Son of God, our hearts are changed again from the inside out. 
We don't have to worry about God. We don't live out of fear. We live out of love. Fear has been taken away because Jesus died on the cross. He paid it all. All past sins, all present sins, and all future sins. He paid it all. Because God loved us so much. Why? I haven't got a clue. I will probably be wondering that all throughout eternity as I gaze upon God and go, I still don't get it. I get to be here? Really? In spite of who I was and am? I get to be here? Why? It makes no sense. We did nothing but sin and revile Him. And yet, He sent... By the way, as a side note, isn't it weird that He said He sent His Son? Jesus was God come in the flesh for all eternity. He was God before and God sent Him to be the Christ. Does that make sense? He was with God from all eternity. In the beginning was He was with God and He was God. They had a fellowship. Jesus actually took on our sin and became sin for us for the first time in all of history. In all of eternity. God had to separate Himself somehow from His Son. That is the great pain of the cross. That God who cherished His Son had to punish His Son on our behalf so that we might be set free. That's amazing to me. He doesn't need my fellowship. I surely am not going to tantalize Him with my intellect. And I'm not very good in my behavior. I still have nothing to offer God. He has everything to offer us. And that's what changes us from the inside out. So not only is God the foundation, the source, the the means of love for us, He sent love to us to cover us so that we would respond in love. Then John goes on and he says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. That little phrase seems really out of context in the beginning of Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. What does that have to do with anything? Probably only the fact that John was debating with people who were distorting the Gospel. People who were saying things like, you know, I have seen God. I have special revelation from Him. I don't need Jesus. Jesus wasn't the Christ. Jesus wasn't the Son of God. If you read 1 John, you realize that they were saying crazy stuff. But I have special revelation from God. Therefore, God's my Father. I don't need Jesus to have that. They were saying things like, I don't have sin. Remember 1 John 1? If you say you have no sin, you are a liar. Why does John even say that? Because people were saying that. They were saying Jesus wasn't necessary because they weren't sinners. Because they had this special revelation from God. It was probably pre-Gnosticism which basically had a duality idea. Spirit was holy and good. And anything created was evil and bad. So therefore, God wouldn't have ever entered Christ. Or Christ would have never entered Jesus. Because Jesus was physical. He was human. 
It was a really complex and distorted view. But that's probably why that's there. As they were saying, I've seen God. I don't need Jesus. So John corrects them and says, no one's ever seen God. And goes on to point to, if you've seen Jesus, right? You've seen God. That's the only way you've ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. So a third motivation, and a crazy motivation, but an incredibly beautiful motivation, is that God sent His Son to manifest His love to us, right? Jesus went to heaven. Now how is God manifesting His love to the world? Through us. God presently abides in His people. Not only has He been love for all eternity, not only did He send love into the world to redeem us, but He abides in us through His Holy Spirit. We are now the children of God. What a motivation to live differently. That His love is being perfected in us. We are growing holier every day as we walk with the Lord. Because as Luther said, salvation comes by faith alone, but faith is never alone. Right? God doesn't stop when He saves us. He continues with us. He gives us the ultimate motivation. We continue to be God's mouthpiece as well as His beauty to the world. Broken beauty? I'll give you that. Failing beauty? I'll give you that. But nonetheless, God abides in you and me. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, God resides in us. And He's manifesting Himself to the world. How? By the way we love one another. Love truly begets love. That's John's whole point. You don't have to worry about obeying the law from a negative standpoint. You will obey the law because God lives in you. His Holy Spirit won't leave you in a state of rebellious, continuous sin. And you know that as a Christian. How many of you are comfortable in your sin? Raise hands. I want to see. Nobody is. It's the worst place for the Christian ever to be. It's the most miserable place to be. Why? Because God's Spirit lives in you. If it didn't, who would care? I'd be a libertarian. I'd take Jesus and say, hey, let's live, let's party, let's have fun. But God's Spirit lives in me. He won't allow that. God wants to manifest Himself in such a beautiful way. And that's what I hope happens in our church. Is that there's such a renewal. That non-Christians aren't saying Christians are hypocrites. Because we're being honest with them. I come to church because I'm sick. I come to church because I'm desperate. I don't come to church because I'm a good person. I come to church because i got a great God. And a beautiful Savior. That's why I come to church. And I'm desperate for Him to heal me. And they'll see that there's something real in you. And they'll see your life changing. 
And the trump charge of hypocrisy will fall away. Because they'll see that God loves hypocrites. Right? But also, we won't be so judgmental towards one another when we understand that love begets love. We won't compare ourselves to one another. You are all in a different place in your walk with Christ. I have seen baby Christians who have been only Christians a year grow at such rates it's been incredible. I've seen Christians that have been in the church for 20 years that have grown at a slow pace. And God still patiently grows them. There is no comparison to be had. There's just love to be bestowed to one another. If you see someone broken, help them. Don't talk about them. Gossip is like the worst cancer in the church. If we want unbelievers to see the love of Christ, we can't talk behind each other's backs. Right? That's not loving. It's not real. If we believe this stuff, If God is real in our lives, we want the best for each other. Because God wants the best for us. And He's been so incredibly patient with us, we're willing to be patient with one another. And when the world sees that, they marvel. Because we're not bound by a common thing other than Christ. We're not bound, if I was to say, what's your hobby? We would have a dozen different hobbies in here. We are not knit together by hobby. We are not knit together by some social thing. We are knit together by the love of God. Which is greater and stronger than anything else in this world. And when you let that reside, and when you, let that, when you meditate on that in your heart, love comes out of you. Not perfectly, but more and more every day. Because you're overwhelmed by how much God loves you. We don't need a negative resistance to keep us being obedient. What we need is more of the love of God in our lives. And to trust it. Like I said, Jesus plus anything is to void the equation is to deny Jesus. Maybe what we're lacking is enough Jesus. Not necessarily rules, but enough Jesus. And that we really deeply and foundationally believe He's done it all. I am now free to obey. I don't have to. I get to. I have an amazing wife sits over there. I like her. Um, How offensive would it be if I took her out and said, hey, I want to take you to a nice dinner because I don't want you to be mad at me. Do you think that would get her excited? Or would it, would it, women, tell me this. Would it make a little more difference if I said to my wife, I said to her, you know what? You are the most adorable woman I know. I'm so grateful that God gave you to me as a gift. And it would be my pleasure, my joy to spend this evening with you for dinner. 
Huh? Now let me ask you this. How satisfying to God do you think it is? When you say, well, I better obey you or you're going to probably give me a bad day or do something horrible to me. I mean, you do sit in, uh, enthroned in heaven and have all power. I don't want my day to go bad. So I guess I'll do what you asked. You get it? What kind of relationship is that? Do you think God takes a little bit more joy, a little bit more pleasure when His children go, how could it be that you made me a child? How could it be that when I have hurt you in every way possible and I've broken your laws throughout my lifetime, that you would love me? Whatever you ask, Father, give me the strength to do because I want to do it. And give me the right heart to do it because I want it to be pleasing to you. I don't want my selfishness to get in the way anymore. And I surely don't want to do it out of fear because you've been too good to me. I don't want a lesser motivation. What do you think, God? Which one do you think you'd rather have? Brothers and sisters, let's trust in the Gospel. Jesus plus nothing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You have loved us indescribably. I thank You that You persist with us. I thank You that You, Father, give us new birth. Give us new hearts. Give us new lives. That we don't have to live by the law anymore. We don't have to be bound by it. We're free to love You. We're free to serve You. We're free to be Your children. God, we want to love You in return. We thank You so much for Jesus. And we thank You that You have shed Your love abroad in our hearts that we might love one another and be a testament to this world a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden so that the world would look and go they've got something I don't have they're not perfect but there's something there that's unique and may it be you that they find may it be you emanating from our hearts the image of God we claim that was always supposed to be shining brightly. Father, forgive us. If we are adding anything to the Gospel, or if we are taking the Gospel for granted so that we might sin, Father, forgive us. Save us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.